When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's me. I sound weird for the first half hour of this podcast because I had the wrong switch for my microphone on. Nathan noticed it. We got it fixed after about half an hour. So if it's like such bad audio you want to give up, don't give up. It gets better. It's a half an hour. It's a little tinny. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Clothing.com, Doug Lamarie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. We like to, coming off the Tuesday news conferences, sort of dive in on what we learned new about the Buckeyes. We, we don't want to lean too much into the matchups because that's what the Friday show is going to be. And although Penn State's on a two-game losing streak and their quarterback still kind of hurt, James Franklin, the Penn State coach, said on Tuesday he expects Sean Clifford, their quarterback, who did play the whole Illinois game but didn't look like himself, looked like he had a flak jacket on, nursing some a chest injury or something, had left the Iowa game previously. James Franklin said he expects Sean Clifford to be 100%. But in terms of, so that's a big deal. In terms of what's happening with the Buckeyes, Stephen, I think we are kind of at a spot where we're getting pretty close to it, where we sort of know who these guys are. And more importantly, they know who they are. So there, there aren't as many developments on a Tuesday of like, oh, well, we like, you know, even last week, Ryan Day, saying that Steel Chambers was uh, going to have an expanded role, right? Like, we could, that was something we could seize on and say, oh, what does that mean? They kind of, I mean, in a good way, there's nothing bad about it because they're playing very, very good football. But does it feel, Stephen, like they kind of are who they are? Yeah, and it's not necessarily, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. It's just there are some things we're just not going to find out until we play a, they play a team where it's like, that forces them to find out if they can do something or not. And because of what their schedule is, we might not find out question A until this week, or we might not find out question C until the Big Ten championship game and on down the line. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt and just go, okay, we know what's good, we know what's okay, and we know what might need to improve by the time we get to a certain point. But other than that, you just kind of watch it for what it is. So that's fine. 
Doesn't mean they're not interesting, but mm-hmm. we always find stuff to talk about here on Buckeye Talk. So here on this Wednesday, Buckeye Talk, we're going to lean into recruiting a little more than on a typical Wednesday show, because one of the things that will be happening on Saturday night in Columbus when the Buckeyes play Penn State is that it is a huge recruiting night. It's prime time. Everybody's, everybody's going to be wearing scarlet. People are excited. This is a, a recruiting class that is fifth in the nation in the 247 rankings. 16 players in the class as it stands. Two recruits this month in the month of October that have been added to that group. Uh, Kenyatta Jackson on the defensive side of the ball. Avery Henry on the offensive side of the ball. Two linemen. How big is, is this like the number one recruiting week of the 2021 season, Stephen, is this it? Yeah. If the June 4th date over the summer, that book I bashed was maybe the biggest day of the summer. This is it for the regular season. And there were a lot of people here for the Oregon date, but also as Ryan Day said in the past, it's really hard for some of these West coast targets to get here for noon games. This is unrealistic for those kids to play a seven 30 at night football game, which is 10 30 Eastern time. And then ask them to hop on a plane and basically get no sleep and come watch a football game. So this being at night was extremely important. It would have been even bigger if Penn state hadn't lost Illinois, but still it all still stands, you know, Primetime game on ABC, you know, top 25 matchup, brand new jerseys, going to be a scarlet, all that stuff. There's going to be over 50 kids here, three guys here on official visits, but then over 50 kids here between commits and potential car- targets in the 2022 class, the 2023 class, and the 2024 class. So, yeah, this is their biggest, this is their biggest recruiting weekend of this calendar year, yes. Okay. 16 in the class right now. Are we in a position where people should be on commit watch coming off of this weekend for anybody? Yeah, I think honestly, the next two months are commit watch for a lot of these guys. Some of these guys have put out commitment, commitment dates like Xavier Wampa has put out his day for December 8th, right after that Big Ten championship game. Uh, AJ Harris in the 2023 class, he's either going to commit on December 13th or he's going to commit January 11th, depending on how some things go here. But yeah, I do think, especially on a defensive line over the next month coming off of this, this, uh, these, uh, these dates, this Penn State game, you should expect to see this class grow a little bit because as you said, Kenyatta Jackson is the only defensive line commit in this class. And that's not at all where they expect it to be at this point. It's not at all where they expect to be by signing day. So guys like Caden Curry, guys like Kiro Canoe, uh, guys like Amari Abor, like, yes, you should expect some of these guys who will be in attendance after the Penn State game to start making decisions, whether it's pro Ohio State or uh, against Ohio State. Yeah, that should be the expectation. All right. We said after the rapid fire, podcast last week we've got so many good questions we're going to try to work them in uh from time to time for instance a question like this that again these are from last week but most of these questions remain relevant from the 614 will ohio state land any more five-star recruits in the 2022 class so at the moment uh cj hicks the linebacker is a five-star and he's the only five-star in right now do you think when everything is said and done, he will be the only five-star recruit in Ohio State's 2022 class? Of course, taking into account the fact that Quinn Ewers was a five-star recruit until he reclassified and became <laughs> part of the 2021 class. So there are 34 five-stars in the 2022 class, and there are, I think, 11 of them who are still undecided. 
but there's probably only two or three that Ohio State has a legitimate chance of 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 winning at this point. And so probably the best bet is to say no. But as things go on with Amari Abor and Shamar Stewart, Shamar Stewart, who will be here this weekend, that's the number eight player, the number three defensive lineman in the class. He came up over the summer for a, a one-on-one workout with Larry Johnson, which kind of shocked everybody because I don't think anybody was expecting that to happen. And then Amari Abor, the number 24 player, the number two edge rusher, which pretty much Ohio State or Oklahoma I'm going to say yes, because I think one of those guys is going to end up a Buckeye. And as this goes along further, I think over the summer, I was I'll be very shocked if Jamar Stewart comes north. I just think that I'd be shocked if he left Florida. I am being more and more convinced by the day because by the actions he's taking that he might end up being a Buckeye, which would be a significant get for Larry Johnson, given what he's coming off of with JT Tui, Malowal and Jack Sawyer. Okay, so so. So that's a seems like there'll be another five star in the group. Who, who mm-hmm. are the? Can you give us a couple, maybe three guys who are going to be here on Saturday? Who are the most important people? The most important recruits that are going to be here? And again, this is for my benefit as much as anyone else's. I don't, I don't know who these people are that you're talking about. <laughs> so you're okay. saying their names. So tell us who they are, where they're from, what position they play. Give us all the background on the three most important recruits who will be in Ohio Stadium on Saturday night. Um, yeah, I'm going to extend it to five just because it's across two, two classes. That's why. So the 2022 class, I'm going to say Xavier Wampa out of Southeast Polk High School in Iowa, the number 43 player, the number five safety in the country. He is, I think, he's not the number one guy on the board, but he's either number two or number three on that board. They wanted to play the bullet role. This is an opportunity for him to watch. Whatever Ronnie Hickman is playing, whether we want to call it a bullet, whether we just want to call it a second safety, whatever, what he is doing for Ohio State is exactly what they want Xavier Wampa doing if he comes here. So that's priority number one. This would be his first trip back to Ohio State since the summer. He did attend that Buckeye Bash as well. Number two within that class, Zion Branch, the other safety. The last, These are the last two defensive backs they would like to add to this class out of Bishop Gorman in, in Nevada, which is the same high school that Haskell Garrett came from, same high school that Tate Martell came from the number 44 player, the number six safety in that class. But it's interesting. I think you can flip those two as far as ranking because right now they have the exact same star rating at 97, 92, both four stars. If in a perfect world, they land both of those guys, you've got Terrence Brooks, you've got Jair Brown as your outside and Ryan Turner are your corners. Kai Stokes is your cover safety. Xavier Wampa is your bullet and Zion Branch is your free safety. So that fit, that's, Set your whole secondary up for the future. And then lastly, in that class, Ernest Green out of St. John Bosco, which is obviously where Court Williams has come from and Wyatt Davis was from there, who he's got a great relationship with him. The number 47 player, the number two interior offensive lineman. And then they would love to get that guy because then you're pairing him with Donovan Jackson as your guards for the future, which is a pretty solid match. Two highly, two top 50 recruits there. And then I'm adding two 2022 guys who will be there. Sonny Styles out of Pickerington, Ohio, the number eight player, the top safety, who is basically Isaiah Simmons 2.0. That is the most important recruit for them in the 2023 recruiting class and keeping that kid home and not letting a guy like Marcus Freeman, you know, convince him to come to Notre Dame and play with his brother. And then Richard Young, who will also be there, the number 21 player out of the number one running back out of Lehigh Senior High School in Florida. And basically the selling point here is come be our next Travion Henderson. Okay. So are they on track right there? The number Penn State is actually slightly ranked ahead of 
Ohio State right now in the 2022 rankings because Penn State, I think, has 25 guys. Mm -hmm. Ohio State has 16 right now. So overall numbers affect your class rating. Uh, Ohio State, number five in the country right now. Are they like just are they on track for where they need to be at this point with this 2022 class? Or is there some like I don't want to say catching up that they need to do or like do they need to start? cashing in some of these visits right now, because again, December is going to be here before you know it. I think they need to start cashing in some of these defensive line guys because I mean, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama are doing their due diligence too. And you don't want to get stuck with kind of where they are with the offensive line recruiting with all due respect to what they have. Avery Henry's a a nice kid. These are nice, but there's not a five-star. There's not a top 50 recruit on that offensive line. And you don't want that from the defensive line, especially, you know, given what Larry Johnson's reputation is, he's Larry Johnson, but also before JT Tui Malowal came along, it had been a while since he had gone and got a national guy, right? I mean, Jonathan Cooper's in state, Jack Sawyer's in state, Zach Harrison's in state, Tyreek Smith is in state. It's been a while. JT Tui Malowal got him a national guy, but it's also, it's just been a while since he's gone South and pulled a guy who's from sec big 12 country and said, come to Ohio state. So just from that standpoint, he doesn't need to prove anything, but he just needs to be able to do that. So defensive line is really where they need to catch up everywhere else. It's fine. They're only three points behind Penn state and they're up their average star rating for the class is 93. 63 in comparison to Penn State's 94-44. So I'm pretty confident that, I mean, they're two commits away from basically having a better class than Penn State. So I'm confident that by the time we get to signing the Ohio State's once again going to have the top class in the Big Ten and be a top five class nationally. And and this is something that you had noted. It sounds like it's something that you're working on for a story, but this is what you Mm -hmm. get when you listen to Buckeye talk. You get the little heads up, heads up. You get the little, they're putting out fewer offers now. What's the change and what does that mean? Give some context on what you noticed. So as I was working on another story a couple of days ago, I noticed this. Ohio State has gone from a team who kind of lives in the 200s as far as the amount of offers they send out to over the last couple of classes, it's been 208 in 2020, 169 in 2021. This year it's 113. And then so far in the 2023 class they've only sent out 78 offers they've adopted a little bit of the Clemson strategy which is what somebody said to me when I brought this up like hey are you guys purposely offering less players and it's like yeah Clemson does it all the time Ohio State doesn't like stand at the top of the mountain and beat his chest and go I am Ohio State hear me roar very often but they do it in these subtle ways it's like the Ohio State offer needs to mean something there's value in that offer and so they can't do what Penn State does where they just send around 300 offers every year and let's see who bites they'll they're a little bit more strategical with that they don't send out offers to kids that they don't feel like they have a legitimate chance of getting but then also you got to work for this offer a little bit so when you get it it actually means something and as an example of that they've got four wide receiver in the 2022 recruiting class, they only offered eight. So you offered eight kids and you hit on four, which is a pretty, I mean, 50% is quality instead of offering 25 kids and only hitting on four. And so this is just a subtle way that Ohio State's kind of flexing its muscles a little bit in the sense that this is the pro- this is the approach they're going to use now. Now, granted, in 2016, when they were offering 250 plus, they were probably saying that that was the best way to go about it. But in this day and age where the transfer portal exists and Ryan Day, anytime you ask him a recruiting question, he's going to bring up fit. This seems like a better philosophy to not just send out offers to everybody just because you saw one good highlight film. It's definitely different 
to, to, yeah. to be sure that it's, that it's better. I don't know that we know that it's better. This does make a little sense to me. Is that This feels like maybe a difference between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day, right? That, that, and that maybe it's taken a couple years of Day being totally in charge of this program to maybe adjust the philosophy a little bit. Again, back in the day, I very specifically remember having discussions. Jim Tressel on signing day used to say, we offered 41 guys. And we got 23 of them. And I don't know that anybody back then was saying like, oh, an Ohio State offer is like gold. It was like, what do you mean you offered 41? Right? That, but that was their strategy. Mm-hmm. So then Urban Meyer came in and was like, we're going to go after everybody all over the country. And we want, every, we want the best players in every corner of the map. Right? And we're going to put the yeah. offers out there. So then that was the right strategy. So now this is the right strategy. So it's a different strategy. But – that it has, if it's evolving to this point under head coach Ryan Day, there's part of that, Stephen, that like, okay, I, I get why that's happening with him. I think it's the perfect balance for where this program is. And I think what Urban was doing was the perfect balance for where that program was and Jim Tressel, where that program was and what he wanted. He offered 41 guys. Okay. But 35 of them were from Ohio or the Midwest. And then you went and got six guys from Florida, like San Antonio Holmes. Urban Meyer was trying to make this a national program from a recruiting standpoint. So yeah, you offer every top notch national recruit you can because you're trying to plant flags. Ryan Day doesn't have to go plant any flags. Jim Trussell had to plant a flag in Ohio. Urban Meyer had to plant a flag everywhere. Ryan just has to keep a, a, a Ferrari, a brand new Ferrari in top notch condition and just keep driving it the right way. So because they know where their areas are, they know how they need to attack situations, but they also know we're Ohio State. We can approach things in different ways. Now, the guy who comes after Ryan Day will probably have a different approach depending on where Ohio State is when Ryan Day leaves the program. But you're right. I don't know if it's better or worse. It's just where the program is and how it can approach things in comparison to where it had to approach things when other coaches took over. So, like, maybe get let's check back in in two years if they happen to have a rough year in Florida or Texas. Oh, and, and then yeah. they'll be back to 250 offers. It'll be like, oh, no, this is the right strategy. I think, I think recruiting strategy is – One of the three most interesting things about college football. Mm -hmm. I think the recruiting strategy is more interesting than like NFL draft strategy because you're in control of it. You're in control of everything. You're not in control of who takes your offer, but you're in total control of who you go after, how you spend the finite resources of time and money. And in a place like Ohio State, the money resources for recruiting aren't that finite, but the time is. There's only 24 hours in the day. There's only 10 assistant coaches and one head coach and one recruiting guru. Like You do have to be strategic with how you spend your time. You're in control of when you offer. You're in control of how many offers you put out. You're in control of do we hit St. Louis this year? Do we hit Tennessee this year? Do we hit Georgia this year? Do we hit Texas this year? Do we hit Southern California this year? And they move the pieces all around the board very strategically. So I am very intrigued by any strategy shift. And this is a strategy shift. But it also will shift back the minute they feel like it's not working. So they must feel like there's something to this. To your point, Ryan Day does talk about fit a lot. And this makes sense to me. But 
it, it doesn't mean that it's better. It's just different. Just like it doesn't mean that it's better to recruit kids from Georgia instead of Texas in a cycle. It's just mm-hmm. like, well, we're going to go where we think we have the best chance to succeed. And so there's very little to question about the Ohio State recruiting operation. So I'm intrigued by this, but I, I do also think sometimes you never know what casting the widest possible net, what random offer will catch a kid's eye and spark something that you never would have expected that maybe you'll miss on one guy in a class now that you don't even realize you're missing on because Mm -hmm. you're not even trying to give him sort of the random offer that makes him think, you know what? Maybe this is the school for me. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm also not going to say it's good, but I'm intrigued that it's different. Strategy is interesting when you cover like Ohio State, Alabama, know these schools who don't have to take other schools in consideration when they make certain decisions. That's when it gets interesting. I think the added element I brought up the wide receivers, the only offer eight. I mean, they landed four, but also, I mean, you landed two of those guys before the recruiting dead period ended and you had all your wide receivers intact before the end of July. So how much of it is we want to dwindle down the offer because we want the value of it to go up, but also because of how we build our classes, as I've mentioned before, they get these big waves in the beginning and then another big wave later on in the cycle. How much of it is, you know, we got all three of our linebackers. We don't need to be out here wasting resources on recruiting linebackers anymore. And when you do that, if something like the song, I don't know, the McCullough's dad decides to take a job at Indiana. And now maybe you do want to get back in the race out there, but because of how you handled it, you're behind the eight ball a little bit because you don't leave yourself any room to find the late bloomer at those positions when you do that, you know, so it is, it's a mixture of a lot of different things here. It's, how, where do you get early commitments at? Where do you not get early commitments at? Where, what positions are more likely to have a late bloomer? You know, how hands-on is the coach and what to make certain decisions with certain players? Because Brian Hartline and Brian Daytake were not offering everybody under the sun to a whole different level because one play, they both played the position and they're kind of gurus at it. While maybe a guy like Larry Johnson, where there's, there's a lot of really good defensive linemen out there. So he might want to take his time, you know, adding guys to the class who aren't surefire, you know, future first round draft picks like a Chase Young or a Jack Sawyer. I did think um, Zach Carpenter from uh, Letterman Row asked an interesting recruiting question. They just was asking about the offensive tackle recruiting, which we've talked Mm -hmm. a lot about here. I mean, everybody knows what's going on there that they have had last year, not getting JC Latham this year. They're not getting Zach Rice, right? Just Mm -hmm. certain guys that they haven't maybe gotten a five-star guy. And Ryan Day took that question, and as you would expect him to do, he said, well, it's not really about how you recruit the position. It's about how, who you wind up with. And he mentioned they're, four, they're playing four tackles on the offensive line right now, and that two of them, Nicholas petit Frere and Paris Johnson, were big-time five-star tackle recruits, and two of them, Dewan Jones and Thayer Munford, were much more under-the-radar tackle mm-hmm. recruits, and all four of them are now starting for Ohio State to a guard to a tackle. But, I mean, the thing that you do have to take away from that is Two of them are five stars. Two of them are as good as any tackle prospect you will find in high school in the last five years. And Nicholas Petit Frere is playing like an All-American at left tackle this Mm -hmm. year. And Paris Johnson, we expect very well, may play like an All-American at tackle next year and is playing very well at guard. And I'm I'm not exactly sure, right, who the next five-star tackle is. And so, yes – Thayer Munford and Dewan Joneses, but also Nicholas Petit Frere and Paris Johnson. So 
let's not discount the fact that it would be a wonderful thing for Ohio State to snag another five-star tackle soon. I don't know how to gauge Greg Shadrawa and how good of a job he is or isn't doing right now because of that, because the recruiting is just not there at all. He's not doing a good job. And even Nicholas Petit Frere, he is here because he went to high school with Greg Chiano's son. And Paris Johnson is here because he lives two hours from here. And it's only a, sto- it's only a story. If- Paris Johnson is only a big deal if he doesn't come here. So I don't, that's not even a thing. Thayer Munford from Massillon, Washington, um, Massillon Jackson, excuse me. So like he's supposed to come here. Dewan Jones, cool. Kudos to you. You found the hidden gem. But it's like, He's a really good developer. He's like a final, a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award, which is given to the best assistant coach every single year. So on that front, he's an elite assistant coach. But the whole, the other half of his job that he doesn't do very well, and even the guys he does get, it's not really him because even Harry Miller, that's Ryan Day. You didn't get that guy. So it's like, I don't know how to gauge is Greg Strajawa doing a good job or not. He's a, he's a semifinalist for the Broyles. Is that what he's a semifinalist? The Broyles is the individual. Yeah, Broyles, Broyles, Broyles. Yeah, Joe Moore and, is and offensive line. And is the offensive line as a whole. So, yeah. and, and again, Donovan Jackson, that's an interior offensive line guy. In, from who's a Ohio. Freshman now. Well, right. From, Technically. From Texas, but had Ohio roots. So, again, yeah. you can't completely dismiss the Ohio guys, but again, when you see them getting a Mekeg Buka in the receiver room mm-hmm. and uh, C.J. Stroud in the quarterback's room and – uh, JT Tumaloau in the defensive end room and they're from all over the country and they're here for no particular connection and mm-hmm. then you say like where's the tackle that's like that because having that tackle is as important as having that defensive end or that quarterback or receiver and they haven't done it lately and by the way like the last time you really did it even though the Shiano connection was there the last time you did it they got a five star tackle from Florida he's awesome like, yeah. so con- <laughs> well done by Greg Stradrawa and well done by Nicholas Petit Frere that it maybe took him an extra year of development from what people mm-hmm. thought. But once he won the starting job, he's like unbelievable how well he's playing right now. So if he leaves and like you don't have another most most positions, they when a five star leaves, they're like, oh, here's here's the next five star. And like, you know, I guess that'll be Paris at left tackle next year. But like, it's not. Then who? Then when Paris goes, who is that? Mm-hmm. There's not a guy on the roster right now, and we can pretend that it's only about developing the Munfords and the Dewan Joneses of the world. But actually, the best thing is develop some of those three star guys and nail some of those five star guys, and that's how you get where they are, where they have four high quality college tackles all in the same offensive line. And if they're not careful, three years from now it's possible we'll be wondering if they have two. And Mm -hmm. that's just a reality of where they are because the recruiting angle is certainly, certainly part of that. All right. When we return, we'll get off the recruiting a little bit. A couple good rapid fire questions to uh, throw in there. Um, A couple different just things that we're sort of thinking about and talking about as we get ready for this Ohio State Penn State game on Saturday. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Would love to have you as a tech subscriber if you haven't tried it before. Six one four. This is when I say the number. I think sometimes people may not meet, know what I mean by saying the number. So, like from your phone, if you send a text message to this number six one four three five zero three three one five, then you get back a message that says, "Hey, here's how to sign up 
for the Buckeye Talk tech subscription. And then you sign up for that. You put in your name, you put in your credit card, but you're not charged for 14 days. So you get a 14-day free trial. And if you don't think it's worth it, and that's fine, we appreciate you trying it, then you just cancel it. You just And canceling it is so easy. It's almost too easy, but except it's good customer service. You don't like have to call somebody. You don't have to like go in and find your credit card. You just type stop in the text message. Like if like you're sending us a text, you just type S-T-O-P and you're out. So if you're nervous about like, well, I don't want to put my credit card thing in for a free trial because then that's how they get you, which is literally how American business works. I looked this up the other day, 81% of the money made by American businesses is made by people who forgot that they subscribed to something with their credit card. So I made that number up, but wouldn't you believe it? I mean, seriously, how many of us have random things out there on our credit cards that we don't even know are out there anymore? So like, I guess you might forget that you subscribe to us. and just let that $3.99 roll over per month, but it's so easy to quit. And if tomorrow, I swear to God, if we lose 100 tech subscribers because I gave a passionate speech about how easy it is to cancel, I'm going to get fired. So please don't take this as Doug's passionate speech about how to cancel the tech subscription. But I'm just telling you, like, don't be apprehensive because I do like sometimes oh, the free trial. But what then? I'm hooked or it's impossible to get a customer service rep on the phone like that totally is not the deal here. So it's really easy to try. You send a text to 614-350-3315. We send you back, hey, thanks for wanting to try us. Here's what you do. Put in your name, put in your credit card, and then your phone number is just like now you're going to get start getting texts from us in your phone, just like you get a normal text message, and that's it. So it takes like whatever, 45 seconds to put your credit card in the first time. And then after that, you just try it for two weeks for free and then type stop if you don't want it, and that's it. And that was like a, the no cost. Ah, let's see what this thing is. So that's all. I just, you know, I mean, you hear me say it all the time. Every now and then I give you the passionate plea. It's not a passionate plea. I'm just trying to shoot you straight because I don't like the stuff where I get hooked on the, ah, 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 you tricked me into this. There's no trick. So we would just love it if you tried it. And I think a lot of people have tried it and have liked it. And they've asked us questions like this. From the 419, it's a rapid fire from last week. And we said we'd go through some of these. Which running back would you rather have at this point? Bijan Robinson or Travion Henderson? And I'm not only taking this as a point to plug my book again. But this is something that I talked about with Tony Alford at length in the Travion Henderson chapter of my Road to Ohio State book. I thought he was really honest about it. And this is what Tony Alford said, and I'm reading from my book now. Coming off the year that we did when we lost B. John Robinson, it was like, I have to go get this kid, Alfred said. I felt that a lot. If you go back, the heat we took as a program and I took as a position coach and the individual recruiter for not getting B. John Robinson was a lot. You can argue if it was warranted or not. It is what it is. The bottom line is he's not here and I'm responsible for it. So I'm not shirking responsibility. And you take the good with the bad and he's not here and we didn't get him. And there was a lot of angst among a lot of people that for whatever reason, we didn't get him. Maybe there was some self-imposed pressure, probably a lot. I have to get this kid. And I went after it and it worked out. So that's the miss on Bijan Robinson that leads straight to Travion Henderson. I don't know, Nathan, if many people in the country would have a long argument with anyone 
that they aren't the two best running backs in the country. I mean, we, there's other very good running backs. But if you had to choose at this point, I guess, if you could have one or the other, and that's actually what it would be, because there's no way Travion Henderson would be here if B. John Robinson was here. Because Travion Henderson, who's a five-star back, saw opportunity because B. John Robinson's not here. Who would you rather have? So obviously I haven't watched a lot of B. John Robinson. I've watched some B. John Robinson. But I've seen every carry that Trevor Henderson has made in his career. And he is not – like, I, I texted this during the game. Like, you know it when you see it. When it's, when it's that special thing. It's, and I saw it with uh, Saquon Barkley. I saw it with Rondell Moore. And I see it with Trayvon Henderson. Where he's, he's, he's playing kind of below the level he's supposed to be playing at, even if you're playing for a great team. You know what I mean? Like even if you're playing at the highest level of college football, it seems like you're kind of just spending time here. And uh, he's got that special element. I haven't seen Bijan Robinson enough to know that he's not just a really good running back, that he also has that special element. But again, you know, when you see it, it's incredibly rare. And Trevion Henderson has it. He does things on a football field that it's not fair to compare the other running backs to him because they never could have done those things. I do think, I mean, listen, who's going to say like, Oh no, no, run trigger and Henderson out of here. We'll take Bijan, right? What Ohio state person, what Ohio state media member or coach or fan would say that. I don't know that you would trade either for each other, right? It's like, well, whoever you have, you'll take that guy because there's not anything more that you would want. When Bijan Robinson got to Texas, it was like, I have never seen a college running back who looks like that. He was like so cut and so physically gifted that it was, it was like, well, that is just a totally different deal there. He is in year two, which is a big difference than year one. So he is carrying a much bigger load than Trevion Henderson. As we said, Trevion Henderson's carries since the Tulsa game when he broke out, 8 8 16 9. These are Trevion, these are B. John Robinson's carries this year. 2019, 13, 18, 35, 20, and 21. I don't think you could give Trayvon Henderson 35 carries right now in a game. Like, I don't think that would be the best thing for him physically. That probably applies to most running backs. I do think Bijan might be a little more physical than Trayvon Henderson. They're not that, he's not that much bigger though. He's a couple inches taller. They're about the same weight. Trayvon's explosiveness and ability to like cut and explode in addition to breaking tackles I don't think there's anybody better, Steven. So I'm not trading Trevion Henderson, but I think if Bijan Robinson would have come here, I don't know that anybody would be saying, oh, no, trade Bijan Robinson for Trevion Henderson because Trevion Henderson's now at Clemson or whatever, right? Like they're just, I think they're the two best and they're exceptional in their own ways. I think the tiebreaker is Travion Junger, so you just get an extra year of him while Bijan's only got one more year left and he's out of here. I think. It's Adrian Peterson versus Saquon Barkley. And what you start doing then is who fits what Ohio State does better. And I think Travion fits better because, no, he's not getting the ball 25-plus times a game right now. But also, I think because of the way he runs – they haven't needed to give him the ball 25 times a game. Well, I feel like with Bijan, he gets better with time. 
It's like he'll be – it's like the more you give him the ball, the more he starts weighing on the defense because he's just a more physical running back. He's six foot 215 in comparison to Travion, who's 5'10", 210, but he, like, he wears it like he's 5'10", 225. So I think because of the amount of weapons Ohio State has and how many people deserve to have the ball in this offense, and now that's just how it's going to be here with the way they recruit right now, he's perfect for Ohio State. While with Tech – Bijan is perfect in a system where he is the number one and maybe the number two and number three weapon, which is what he is at Texas right now. He also would have been perfect here, which is why Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that he would have been terrible if he was here. No, no, I'm not. He wouldn't have been. Listen, 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 listen. He, he'd be fine here, 100. I'm just saying that if between the, if when we're you know, I guess nitpicking at things, maybe Travion's a better fit long term. It is the thing that you go into, which is if you miss, if you miss at something in recruiting, you must turn the miss into opportunity and you must turn the miss into a selling point, right? Because you can't, which is a little bit like sort of what they're not doing at tackle right now, right? That, Hey, JC Latham's not here. Boy, oh boy, there sure is a lot of playing opportunity as soon as Paris Johnson goes to the NFL, right? Hey, tackles. Come here and play fast. Tony Alford, who did not get Bijan Robinson when he thought he was going to get him, turned not getting Bijan Robinson into opportunities he could sell to Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor. And that's how you do it. Because sometimes, right, one of the most remarkable things about what Brian Hartline is doing is that it feels like he has not been hurt by his own recruiting yet. That it's not the story of like, well, a Mekek Buka, I, I don't know. He was going to come here, but then he was like, well, you know, I'm going to have to wait behind Garrett Wilson when I'm a freshman and I don't want to do that. And Jackson's but like he just stacks it on top of each other. That's It's hard to stack. So when you miss, Tony Alford did exactly what you have to do. So that is, that is the thing that um, is to Tony Alford's credit and is what all great recruiters do. That it's like, hey. We have opportunity because it didn't go as well um, last year as we wanted it to uh, in recruiting. Okay. I do want to talk about um, the defense a little bit, Nathan, and what we think the the end game is going to be. We sort of talked about what we think the end game is going to be in terms of jobs, right? And who's going to be the defensive coordinator next year? And where's Kerry Combs going to be? We've covered that a lot on this podcast, I think. But I do want to sort of talk about the scheme from the 740. Since Ryan Day has been the head coach, he's openly said he wants to run a single high safety cover one with a sprinkled in cover three zone look. Did the Oregon game especially make Ryan Day decide that he should reconsider his scheme preference? Now that Matt Barnes is calling plays, they're playing mostly cover two, which shows that Day is now okay with changing schemes. With that being said, is Kerry Combs the fall guy for the poor defensive performance? instead of day accepting that his choice of scheme was too easy to pick apart without elite talent at key positions, which is sort we've talked about that scheme choice. Then we've talked about the, extensively about the fact that Ryan day and Jeff Halfley were united in what they wanted to run when all this started with these guys in 2019. And then that kind of is what, what Ryan day wanted to do when he hired Kerry Combs. Do you think Nathan, this is a long-term change that regardless of the guy calling it now, that the single high safety look for Ohio State's defense is basically dead. I think it could, it might be, but I think it could also, because it is Ryan Day's like 
deep down personal preference. Maybe it depends a little bit on what they figure out as far as being that free safety long-term. Like if they get a single high safety that they trust the way that they trusted Jordan Fuller, Fuller just a couple of years ago. Sorry. I started, I kept trying to say Josh Proctor and that, that wasn't, although he was trending in that direction, that wasn't the answer I wanted, but it really cascades through the whole defense through though. Cause I mean, Jordan Fuller worked, but did Jordan Fuller work because he had Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett and Sean Wade in front of him. And did they work because they had Chase Young in front of them? So I, 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 I suspect that it's something that Ohio state will still use. Sometimes I don't think they'll ever go back to being exclusively single high safety. I think it's done. Because you got to be honest with yourself. And I think that's what the Oregon game did for Ryan Day. It made him be honest with himself and look at his personnel and go, there is not a chase. If you don't have a guy who's going to get you 10 plus sacks guaranteed, then you can't run that scheme. And they didn't have a guy this year who can do that. And you, and with what Jack and JTR, they might not be ready to do that next year either. So I, that's what the Oregon game did. That's what playing a non-conference game against a top tier opponent did for Ryan Day is he didn't have to wait until the playoff for somebody to expose it because quite frankly, yeah, he can play that single high scheme for 12 straight games. If he's playing the big 10, he can, because all you're doing is stopping the run. There's no one who's going to throw on you when you play it, when you get into the playoffs, someone's going to throw on you and you can't run that scheme anymore. So that's the best, that's the best thing Oregon did for Ryan day is it showed him, okay, we got to put some of this stuff earlier and not wait until week 10 to throw Josh Proctor out there. And then he gets in the Clemson game and he's out of position. I do think it's dead regardless of personnel because I, I think it's just kind of the way the game has evolved. And again, there were just weren't that many people doing it already. It is a way to get an extra guy in the box. It is a way to stop the run. It is a way, I think, to win in the Big Ten, Stephen, as you said. But I think long term, it is not a way to stop elite passing offenses. And you've got to stop or at least try to contain elite passing offenses to win national titles in college football. So, uh, you know. Even if you have Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, I still want two. <laughs> I still want two safeties back there. And if the evolution of this, I do think in the end, and say the guy from Iowa again, who's the top fifty national guy, who's the safety, Xavier Wampa. Xavier Wampa, right? To me, if the if the final evolution of the bullet here is a second deep safety that, when we play teams that run two tight ends or really love to run the ball, we're going to put you down in the box more. Guy who really is probably in the end much more of a safety than a safety linebacker hybrid, right? Is certainly more of a safety than a linebacker. Even if it's hybrid, it's not 50-50 or 55-45. It's like you're 75% safety, 25% linebacker. But you've got to be enough linebacker that when we bring you down in the box against Iowa or Wisconsin or a powerful team in the Big Ten, you can tackle right? That you can't be, you can't be mm-hmm. little. We're just going to, we're going to recruit big safeties, physical safeties. So we need a rangy guy, need one rangy guy, which you always needed if you're going to run a single high safety. And then you need a physical guy, but who's still a safety. Let's not pretend that he's a linebacker. Ronnie Hickman is not a linebacker. Ronnie Hickman's a safety. So Ronnie Hickman is playing safety. And now you recruit Ronnie Hickman's and you run that defense with Ronnie Hickman's and the single high safety is, is basically a thing of the past. Unless listen, you know, when they would have run a single high safety against Illinois last week, when they were putting nine offensive linemen on the field, Penn state was still playing two safeties. Why do you have two safeties on the field? They have nine offensive linemen. What are you doing? Penn state. That I think would be the issue, but I do think it is a, shift not just a play caller 
uh, or of scheme. It is a shift of philosophy, which I think was needed. And to your point, Stephen, I think they might have needed a kick in the butt from a national team to get them over the top. And again, better off in week two than in a playoff semifinal. All right. Honestly, there's just one more thing that I want to cover, and it is coming from a texter question, but it's a bigger picture thing that kind of got illuminated a little bit on Tuesday. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. Make sure you're reading uh, Cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Make sure you're um, trying the text if you've never tried it. Not make sure. Ponder it. Ponder. I love the verb ponder. 614-350-3315. We could take another round of re- reviews, I think, at Apple Podcasts. We would certainly be happy to have you there. Um, and again, the College Football Playoff Show, if you've never listened to it, the Wednesday show this week, the Tuesday show on the College Football Playoff Show is only on Apple Podcasts. You have to have access to Apple stuff. And it's three bucks a month to subscribe to get the four Tuesday shows. So it's 75 cents an episode. The Wednesday college football playoff show is free to everybody on every podcast outlet. And we went really, really heavy big 10 this week. We did a lot on Penn state, Ohio state. We did a lot on Michigan, Michigan state. I have a lot of thoughts on that Michigan, Michigan state game, how they match up, what it means um, for the big picture of the big 10 talked a lot about Oregon too, and how legit Oregon is. And the idea of in the end, is it more likely that Ohio State's going to sort of push Oregon up in the polls and in the playoff rankings when they matter? Or is it more likely that Oregon is going to sort of yank Ohio State down in the polls? Because I do think when the first playoff rankings come out next Tuesday, that you still have to connect Ohio State and Oregon in a lot of ways. The more data you get, the more games that are played, I think you can start to separate them. But for right now, I still think, You kind of have to view them in tandem. And does that mean, wow, Ohio State's playing really well. Let's move Oregon and Ohio State both up. Or Oregon's kind of iffy, no matter how good Ohio State is, you've got to have them below Oregon. And Oregon only is the sixth best team in the country. And it brings Ohio State down. I think it's a really interesting discussion. Go listen to the college football playoff show. If you think most weeks, I don't care about that. I get enough Doug. I don't need national Doug. I just want Buckeye talk, Doug. There's a lot of sort of Buckeye talk stuff and Big Ten stuff on the Wednesday college football playoff show. All right. This is the big picture stuff, Nathan. Not much is changing with Ohio State. They're pretty established, but I do. I'm really coming around on how the 11 guys on the field offensively really seem to do their job snap to snap. And this is a big picture question from the 937. I asked this question back question back in the spring. And everyone on the pod seemed pretty dismissive of the idea of Ohio State becoming a generational offense, like the 2019 LSU offense and the 2020 Alabama offense. So with the sudden change in C.J. Stroud's play, the emergence of Trevion Henderson as a truly elite back, three receivers no one can cover, Rucker tight end, and a fantastic offensive line, may we now be looking at that type of offense in Columbus that could be generational, much like what we saw with Alabama and LSU in the last two years. Thoughts on if we could continue the current level of play and become that type of offense. Nathan, are we in that stratosphere with this offense right now? I think we're, we're trending there. And I think this Penn state game will maybe decide, help me decide whether I, put myself in that line of thinking or not because here is at the end of the day what you still have to remember and I know Ohio State fans don't like to hear things like this but LSU and Alabama the past two years proved 
their offensive worth against the SEC and SEC defenses. And Ohio State is not proving itself against that level of team right now. Penn State, I think, is legitimately a really good defense. I know we spent last week talking about Indiana's defense, and that turned out to not be what you saw on Saturday. So people are probably um, hesitant to hear me say that, but I think it's true. They've got guys all over that defense that could play for Ohio State, no question. So I think if Ohio State goes out and just puts it to a team like this, that definitely makes me think that they might have that kind of potential, that they might be just that special, kind of like an unstoppable offense to some degree. Again, though, the other caveat is just when when your offense does nothing for you, it really kills your defense. Like eventually, like no defense can be out on the field that much. And we saw that last week with Indiana. I think we've seen that each of the last, excuse me, you know, going back to the Akron game. When you just when you're that inept on offense and your defense is just out there constantly, um, this it, it, it can't an offense this explosive is going to capitalize on that more often than not. So again, that was something that I think LSU and Alabama both overcame playing in the conference that they did. I'm not saying it happened every single week, but you play enough other pretty good teams that you both have to go up against better defenses and take better advantage of every offensive possession you have right now. There's just absolutely no pressure on Ohio state's offense to execute. So I, but so here's the thing. Most of the time when we have this discussion, we end up talking about how they haven't played any good defenses noted. Let's talk about the guys, the 11 guys that Ohio state puts on the field that I'm more interested in that. And when you think about Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase and Clyde Edwards, Alaire. When you think about Mac Jones, Devontae mm-hmm. Smith, John Mechie, Jalen Waddle when he was healthy, and Najee Harris. And you think about CJ Stroud, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Travion Henderson. Does that, from a talent standpoint, of course they have to show it in the end. But Stephen, when we think about it from a talent standpoint, mm-hmm. Does it feel like we're on that level? Yeah, I think it's already there already. And I understand that we sat up here and we said Indiana's defense was pretty good. And then Ohio State wiped the floor with them. I'm not taking that away from Indiana's defense. I think their defense is still really good. I just think Ohio State's offense is at that level where it doesn't matter. And I mean, to the point, I mean, Ohio State's averaging more points than both of those offenses. But then from the yards per game standpoint, LSU is first, Ohio State second, and Alabama's third. And Alabama didn't play the greatest teams last year. Like it, outside, I mean, Florida's offense kept up, and then because Alabama's defense wasn't there yet, Ole Miss scored a lot of points. But it's not like Alabama was playing this year's Georgia team last year, you know, in, in the regular season, because that Georgia team wasn't very good last year. So I think they're already there from a talent standpoint, and the numbers aren't going to go away. I think I might take Ohio State's trio of wideouts over – Bama and LSU, just because their third best guy is better than their third best guy. Jackson's better than John Mechie. And um, I can't even remember LSU's third receiver's name, which to that point, um, the running back one is interesting because I think I might take Najee first because he is a former number two player in the country, five-star in his own right, who looks pretty good for the Steelers right now. And he was also year four in comparison to Travion in year one. And then you'll probably take Joe Burrow as a, the, as a quarterback there. But overall, I think they're there. That's the conversation now. It's like, which unit of each team would you take? 
and they each you pluck a unit from each person. It's not like you're going, I'll take LSU's this and this, or Alabama's this and this, or Ohio State's this and this. You take one from each unit, which shows you they're all pretty equal because you know, I don't know that you're the two and three aren't bad options either in both cat in all categories. So Chase. I want to say real quick, I, go ahead. I, I think I think the, the important numbers when you're comparing those teams is probably yards per play. You know, it's, you know, comparing scoring, comparing just total yardages, other things affecting that. I, yards per play means a little bit more to me. And Ohio State is a half yard better than either Alabama yep. 2020 or LSU 2019 was. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it really comes down to believing in the quarterback, right? I mean, Burrow, you're not going to win a quarterback argument over Joe Burrow no. that, that year, maybe played quarterback in college better than any college football quarterback had ever played in a single season. So I think being dismissive of that in the spring, whenever we were dismissive of it was okay. Well, is CJ Stroud? I don't know. He just got like, he's, he didn't even get to play. Like, he didn't throw a pass last year. Is he going to, he's not going to be burrow, but is he even going to be able to be what Mac Jones was, which is veteran. And I think Steven, you've made that comparison at times in sort of what you're doing in the offense, but Mac Jones had been through it. Mac Jones had been at a gazillion practices for Alabama. Mac Jones had been thrown in for half a season the year before he was the starter because Tua got hurt. Mac Jones had a gazillion times more experience than C.J. Stroud had. So that was, I think, a general level of dismissiveness of like, that's eh, a young quarterback. What are you talking about? I will say, like, right now, I think Bryce Young now is better than Mac Jones was last year. Bryce Young is unbelievable. Bryce Young is so calm and cool. Bryce Young, the stuff that we talked about like last week, Stephen, your favorite play that got called back by the illegal uh, lineman, excuse me, downfield, CJ running to throw, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, like Bryce Young does that all the time. Bryce Young has not Mm -hmm. run very much. Bryce Young killed Tennessee on third down running the ball last week. I'm like super impressed with Bryce Young right now, but like Bryce Young is almost like carrying. I feel like that Alabama offense in a lot of ways, because I feel like Alabama in certain yeah. ways, is just is only okay or not. Okay. Is good, but not great this year because Brian Robinson and Jamison Williams and John Mechie are not Devonte Smith, Jalen Walla, Najee Harris. They're just not, mm-hmm. but Bryce Young is elevating them. My point of this is to say, Mac Jones last year was the beneficiary of a lot of talent around him everywhere. And if that's all that CJ is just is good enough to be the beneficiary. And I'm not saying that's all he'll be, but even if, if that's all he is, I do think it's possible that Ohio state's receivers and running back are as good as Alabama's receiver and running back receivers and running back last year and that it could be i do think this ohio state offense in the end could be as dominating as generational as special as rare as the alabama offense last year lsu in 19 just might be a different conversation i like even beyond what the stats are it's like joe burrow had defenses on a string jamar chase and justin jefferson are like two of the 10 best receivers in the nfl right now right? That it was just like mind bogglingly good. I don't know if they'll get there because I don't see a way for CJ Stroud to play at Joe Burrow's level this year. But if we want to say Bama 20, I think that's out there. 
I think what's interesting is, yeah, I think you're right. What Joe Burrow conjured up in 2019 was ridiculous, but also he didn't have to play the best defense in the country. So we didn't get to see it against the best possible team to like shut it down. Like I said, that nobody played good defense last year. So Alabama could just have its way with everybody on offense because Ohio State up until the Bama game had been kind of doing the same thing. Justin just did whatever he wanted until he started trying to do too much. Ohio State might have to play the team who can best shut it down because Georgia looks like it's not going to get beat by anybody. There's no Clemson in the way of Georgia, the way there was for Ohio State in 2019. So we get to see what Chase Young, a.k.a. Jordan Davis, does when he gets up against Joe Burrow, a.k.a. C.J. Stroud, and on down the line there. And I think that's what will end up being the difference is they might statistically and talent-wise be in the same category as those two teams, but that doesn't mean they're going to end up with the same result. Yeah, and it's hard. Like, I don't, I don't want to be beholden to the stats, but it's like, well, that's what you do in sports. If you're comparing greatness, you compare stats. Yeah. So, Nathan, the fact that you're saying that they're above them right now in yards per play is a big deal. But then that also goes back to your point of if it's going to be a statistical case, man, I mean, if Ohio State's putting up the same yards per play, playing Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, and Iowa, that they were playing Maryland, Rutgers, Minnesota, and Tulsa, right? Like then we're just, I mean, like, yeah, then we're rolling. I'll be curious to see where that yards per play is when we get to, you know, the after 13 games. But I do think from a talent standpoint, um, it's there. And I don't know enough about LSU and Alabama's offensive line. And this is the thing that came up Tuesday. And just the- They both won the Joe Moore Award they did in their respective year. Yes, the level of execution among Ohio State's offensive linemen right now with the way they're making their blocks, with the way that almost every time you see the assignment, if you're pulling, if you're getting out in front of a screen, if you're leading a guy through the hole, if you're in pass protection, if you're tra- if you're trading guys off on a stunt or a twist, if you're picking up a blitzer, Nathan, like it is just regular day after day execution by some supremely skilled athletes. Nicholas Petit-Frere is an incredible athlete on the offensive line. Paris Johnson is an incredible athlete on the offensive line. Dewan Jones has a a package of size and, and footwork that is rare out there, right? Like that, and they're smart and they know what they're supposed to do. That offensive line execution, it's harder to quantify, I think, across a year to year comparison. But that's another thing to me, Nathan, that is elevating the play of this offense right now. Yeah, I know they're, they're exceptional. I think the Indiana game was the best we, we've seen from them so far. Uh, you know, Paris Johnson, I thought, was really strong. Dewan Jones, I think, came and played like you might expect him to play, you know, pretty motivated to come home and, and have a big game in, in front of the people in Indiana. So I, I, that, I think, though was not hard to project in the spring when the texture was suggesting that maybe we were dismissive of that concept. I think we, we knew the offensive line was going to be solid and potentially great. I think we knew what Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were. The, the big X factors that I think are pushing this maybe into the stratosphere are Trevon Henderson is maybe more special, faster than we expected, even though that we like believed in the upside of him and kind of wondered why he might not have a bigger role from day one. But then also Jackson Smith and Jigba is really good. Like Stephen and I were talking on the way home from Bloomington. Um, like who's the best? 
which of these receivers is going to end up having been the best receiver by the time he's done with his career? And it might be like Emeka Ibuka, who can't get on the field right now, mm-hmm. really, because Jackson Smith and Jigba is ahead of him. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, is on a trajectory that could push him beyond where Olave and Wilson are at, at similar stages of their career. So uh, he's the one that, like, we saw some, like, really fun things from him last year. I'm trying not trying to be dismissive of that, but it was like, oh, you're toe tapping in the back of the end zone when it's already uh, games kind of put away against Nebraska and you made a nifty catch in the, the, the postseason, but it was very spread out. And it wasn't like, I don't know that I necessarily envisioned him being like one, a one B one C option, which is kind of what he is right now in this offense. We, and, and we talked going into the season that, you know, how big of a role was he really going to have? Like how big of a, I'm going to say it a different way. How big of an impact was he really going to have? Because why wouldn't you just keep the same distribution of targets that you did last year with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson? Because they're the two best receivers in the country, right? Well, Garrett, I mean, Jackson Smith is right there with them in a lot of statistical categories because eventually, and I don't think it was this way early on, but eventually CJ Stroud has started to target him kind of in essentially the same way he does those other guys. It's gone from eventually to, it seems it's very, Justin Fields, Chris Olave, 2019-ish, where he's like slowly becoming his favorite target. There are parts of this offense that are designed to get the slot guy free. And we've Mm -hmm. talked about that, that when we were trying to project catches and yards for this offense and how it was going to be distributed, it's like, well, you know, like if Jackson Smith and Jigma is pretty good, it's, it's designed for the slot guy to do a lot. And then it's like, oh, no, he's awesome also. So I, this is, again, this is like my favorite thing. It's like when I said a couple of weeks ago, it's like Iowa was simultaneously the number two team in the country and the fifth best team in the Big Ten West. Chris Olave may simultaneously be the best receiver in Ohio State history and the third best receiver on his own team right now. Like the number one blow your mind stat in the country right now is that Chris Olave is third in receiving yards for the Buckeyes. I could not get over that. Nathan, it it makes me not crazy, but it's like I cannot get over it. But yet it's like, well, yeah, what do you think, man? I mean, Jackson's got to get his. And Olave had that weird game where he didn't have any catches. So I, it's just it is unbelievable. And it's just what this it's what this receiving core and this offense is all about right now. Yeah, I mean, ca- who's really arguing that he doesn't deserve that kind of attention? I mean, he doesn't deserve that kind of share of the offense. I mean, it's now it, it, it plays off of the other guys at times, I'm sure, too. Like there's times where he's the guy who's going to be open because those other two guys are getting more attention. I understand that. But he's I, taking full advantage of it. I think he might have fewer drops than those guys. Right. Like, I don't I, I can remember yeah. time. I can remember egregious drops by both Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And mm-hmm. I'm not thinking of one right now by Jackson Smith and Jigba. He does, and he's I think it's 19 yards per catch, which is more than, all, than the other two as well. He does more with it. But then also to the point of like with Chris Olave, I mean, we talked about early in the season how he wasn't getting the ball. As explosive as that offense was on Saturday, he was not really a part of that. He had the one touchdown catch, and then he had another catch after that. That was Jackson Smith, the jig, but led the team of catches with six catches for 99 yards, and I can't, which I didn't realize until after the game when I'm looking at the stats because the, he had the one CJ really awesome throw that Ryan Day got asked a million questions about, and that Twitter's going crazy about. But I don't remember any of his other catches. But to the point of this offense is kind of designed to get this get the ball to the slot receiver. That slot receiver could have just been Garrett. 
But no, they made it a point to get this guy on the field, and he's having a significant impact in a way that I don't think anybody predicted. The the one thing that this offense is not doing at is not doing as at high of a level as it did last year is throw the deep ball because Justin did that so well. Chris is so dangerous there. It is not it is not CJ's best thing, right? I'm not saying CJ can't do it. CJ doesn't throw the deep ball as well as Justin. Few people do, but that is Chris's bread and butter, and also it sort of feels like it's the thing that defenses are most afraid of right now and that they are trying to keep stuff in front of them. They're trying to drop eight, whatever. And so then CJ has time and he's surveying and he's taking the opening, but he's not throwing it 50 yards down the field. And that is limiting Chris's yards and kind of his opportunities. And that's where Chris would sort of separate himself maybe from the group. He does have the most touchdowns, eight receiving touchdowns for Olave, six for Garrett Wilson, and then three each for Jackson Smith, Najigba, Jeremy Ruckert, and Travion Henderson, and one for Mitch Rossi. So again, Garrett Wilson, 36 catches for 605. Jackson Smith, Najigba, 29 catches for 551. Chris Olave, 32 catches for 518. It is, uh, it is remarkable. It is remarkable. And, and again, to think of it's like Garrett Wilson and Jack and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, the greatest receiver duo in Ohio state history <laughs> until 2022, when it's a Mecca Egbuka and Jackson Smith, the Jigba until 2023, when it's Marvis, Marvin Harris. I just did it again. Marvis and Harrison jr. <laughs> when it's Marvin Harrison jr. And a Mecca Egbuka until 2024, when it's Caleb Burton and Jaden Jaden Ballard, right? I mean, it's just I. So they're good. Okay. Can you can you stop by the Woody tomorrow night and ask him if other yeah. people mispronounce his name, Marvison? I mean, it's not like it's a weird name. His dad is in the Hall of Fame. People have been <laughs> saying the name Marvin Harrison for, for three decade. decades. <laughs> it's like, oh, who's that? Oh, that's Mar. I don't. I, I have no idea what it is. Who's that? It's Marvin Harrison. You're just saying it quickly. Oh, who's Marvin Harrison? I like the sixth greatest receiver of all time. Oh, I don't know if I've I've never said his name before. What are the, his like, name really? is like J. It's like Jamison Williams' name. It's when you first when you say it too fast, you end up saying Jamison Williamson, and that's not his name. This is all, but that's Jamison Williams is what did this to me. Because yeah. I, I'm sure I called Jamison Williams Jamison Williamson because of yep. Marcus Williamson. So it's Marcus yep. Williamson's fault. We're getting to the bottom of it. Okay. So big Marcus, recruit. Marcus and Williamson. I see. <laughs> Marcus. Don't get me started. Really good offense. More of a test. Good test. Good secondary. Good, good legitimate secondary. And we'll get into that in the Friday preview show. We want to talk sort of Big Ten stuff a little bit on the Thursday show, what would be the best way for the big 10 to try to do this? Should they not have divisions anymore? Should it just be 14 teams and protect the rivalry and just do that? Should they change the divisions? Is it a problem that all the best teams again are in the East or is it just a fact of life and it's no big deal? Like, is it, is it a, James Franklin was talking about this a couple weeks ago. And so I want to talk about it. We'll also do some rapid fire too, because I don't want to talk about like alignment of a conference for two hours. Um, I might try to get a guest to join us, somebody with somewhere else in the big 10 to sort of help us look at that big picture view. And then Friday, we'll really dig in on this game. This game is worth digging in on. 
uh, even though it's not what we thought it would be. We will certainly do that. So again, great, great time to try the texts. Great time to drop a review for Buckeye Talk. Great time to listen to the college football playoff show. If you have not tried it yet, consider it a personal favor to me. If you would just find that wherever you listen to Buckeye Talk, just look for college football playoff show and find that Wednesday episode where we did a lot of big talk, uh, Big Ten talk there. I also am finally writing a story again. I'm kind of excited about, asked a lot of questions about how Ohio State kind of took out Micah McFadden, who might be the best linebacker in the Big Ten in the game against Indiana, and what that tells us about the level of execution of this Ohio State offense. I'm going to have some screen grabs. I have some good quotes from, literally, I asked Nicholas petit Fair a question about blocking Micah McFadden on Mayan Williams' first touchdown run against Indiana. It was the best answer that I have heard from a player at any level in at least a year and maybe five years. It was, he just regurgitated my story, but better to me in the answer. Nicholas Petit Frere is so smart. Yep. He is so smart. He is so like every time Steven, you asked him a question about, about like playing at a high level. And he was like, well, thank you for saying that I'm playing at a high level. And it's like, you're an all American. Yeah, man. (laughs) He is so nice and humble and smart and long and athletic. Like he is, I, again, we always talk about the guys are going to tear it up at the combine. His, his, his media availability, those 30 minutes are going to be special, but just, I mean, the, the teams are going to, interviews are going to be, yeah. Teams are going to fall in love with that guy. And, but then there'll be one leak from one team. That's like, is Nicholas Petit Frere too smart for football? Because the stupid NFL scouts. Does he care? Is he invested in football the way he should be? Or does he have too many eclectic interests? It's because scouts sometimes are dumb. Uh, Long, not all scouts. If you're a scout listening, not you. Long arms, quick feet, physical, tech, technical, like just almost everything you want from a tackle and a great answer. And I think it's, it's, I've been so much, so reminded this season of how, you know, why isn't Quinn Ewers playing this fall, football this fall? For, yeah, man. Uh, here's a weird analogy uh, because he didn't come here to play football this fall. So why didn't Nicholas Petit Frere play sooner at Ohio state? Because he wasn't the right size. Like he wasn't the athlete that he needed to be yet to play football. And I think we're seeing now that like all of the things that we, I think maybe we speculated at the time, like, is he not playing because he's missing this or missing that? That I think it really was the weight at the end of the day. Like, he just wasn't big enough to play. And once he was big enough to play, he's been among the best in the game. Yeah, you said that because I kind of, like, wanted to compare the, the difficulties of changing from right tackle to left tackle to the weight problems he had. And he was just like, oh, easy. It was the weight problems. That was, that was, just, that was a difficult time for him because I mean, he had to eat. He had to eat a lot. And it was to the point that we're writing multiple stories about how this very large man is having a problem getting larger. And now that he's got a chance to have that weight stick, he's, I mean, we're seeing the guy who was the number one tackle in 2018 class be potentially the number one tackle in the country right now. Yeah. I don't know where Mel Kuyper is on Nicholas Petit Frere right now, but he's going to be a guy that a lot of the draft people are going to come around on later in the process because I think he's got everything you want. Okay. Good stuff. Good conversation. We'll have it uh, two more times before this game on Saturday. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>